this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of said union, Jay, we have a union member back with us for this episode. He's been here before. You might remember him from such episodes as Stanford Prison Experiment in 2019. Giants Chair in 2020, Ida in 2021, Into Another in 2022. I think there was, am I missing one? Oh, yeah, 2018, Local H, Pack Up, Zikats, and then, of course, a bunch of roundtables. We did a Deftones roundtable, a Gin Blossoms, Third Eye Blind, Silver Chair, some other ones. Welcome back to the sto- to the show, Stephen Muzinski. Steve, how you doing? Great, great. Uh, I'm going by Stephen these days. Stephen. Um, yeah, and we could just call me Stephen John. We don't need that hard to pronounce Polish last name. Hey, we um, celebrate. Look at, come on. Look at the combined. <laughs> me and Jay have more <laughs> consonants than than uh, than Czechoslovakia. Is Czechoslovakia still? Around? Are you taking on a Are you taking on a stage name, John, Stephen? Steven John. You know, I, I might be. I might be. Uh, no, I don't know. Just that's that's where I'm at these days. You're playing you know? around with it. I get it. Yeah. 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 You know, Ziek is not an easy name to live with. I get it. There's some days we're like, <laughs> in fact, my, one of my uh, nieces on social media, she just changed the spelling to be just Z-E-E-A-K. <laughs> some people would pronounce it correctly. Ziek? Like, I give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, I had a brief uh, like five minute moment where I thought if I played football, I could go by T.D. Manichi, like touchdown oh, Manichi. Oh, my goodness. How cool would that be? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. T.D. Manichi. That's what you should be writing your books under. T.D. Manichi? Yeah. That just sounds so sophisticated. It's actually really fun to say. T.D. Manichi. Yeah. I'll have to consider that. Uh, maybe that will be my pen name for my I'll, I'll use my full name for like my adult dystopian sci-fi books. And then I'll write like children's books under T.D. Manichi yeah. for the kids. For the kids. Uh, so, Stephen, you're back with us. Tell everyone the album that you have selected for this episode. Well, 25 years ago uh, in 1998. Super Drag released Head Trip in Every Key. So uh, it seemed it seemed like it had to happen this year. So I brought it. March the 24th crowd favorite. of 1998, Super Drag's Head Trip in Every Key. Now, we've talked about Super Drag before. We've had John Davis from Super Drag on the show. Uh, we talked about, well, when we had him on the first time, it wasn't for Super Drag. It was uh, for the Lees of Memory. We just interviewed him when the I think it was when the first album came out, and then we had him on yeah. again for the second record, the second Leaves of Memory album. But we did uh, the first Super Drag album, regretfully yours, as just an early review. God, I want to say that was like 
maybe first or second season when we talked about that record. And yeah, we've talked about, I mean, Super Drag has come up throughout the podcast when we talked about power yeah. pop bands, uh, you know, various albums and, and round tables. Super there, Drag tends we, to we have a John Davis channel on the Discord. Right, right. Uh, they're a touchstone for us. I think when we do reviews, we, we call back to them quite a bit. So yeah, John, if you're listening, just to show you how obsessed our, our, our fan base is with the podcast <laughs> in our discord, which I hope you know what a discord is, but essentially a message board. We have things like, you know, different sections to talk about news, music, news, music, history, uh, music videos. And then we have it break down by like big bands that we like to talk about, you know, like Stone Table Pilots from the 90s or Pearl Jam or whatever. And then we have a whole John Davis channel just to cover all of your various projects. <laughs> that's that's rarefied air. Only a few people have uh, their own dedicated channel. I believe it's you and um, Dooley. Greg Dooley, maybe. Sean Smith had a, had a, has a channel, In Memoriam channel, and uh, maybe one or two other. Uh, may, maybe. I have to. Who, do we have any other ones? Uh, oh, Jay Robbins. Uh, okay because jay robbins got you know a million things going on yeah. and i did add a john uh reese china channel um because yeah. i believe tomorrow there's going to be an announcement with regards to rocket from the crypt hmm. so they, they they posted something on their twitter about october 27th i don't know if this is going to be a tour or a record or what hopefully both because i've never seen the band live and I'm saying it now. I am willing to travel to go see them if they come to the Midwest. Like if they go to Chicago or if they go to Cleveland or something like that, I'm going because this is one band I do want to see live before I, uh, you know, hit the nursing home. So, which I'll go if I'm in a nursing home too. I'll, I'll get out. I'll, I'll escape in my wheelchair and <laughs> wheel myself out and get to the club. Um, a little bit about this record. It was it's the second album, as we mentioned, it was recorded with uh, Jerry Finn, who is a producer that, uh, you know, a lot of people know from a, a, a wide variety of records. Um, do you want to know what his first credit is? <laughs> Color me bad. His first uh, engineering and uh, assistant engineer remix assistant was a uh, start Color me bad. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. <laughs> he worked on as an engineer. Um, on bands like The Muffs, Green Day, uh, Matthew Sweet, Goo Goo Dolls, Jawbreaker, Pennywise, Rancid, That Dog, Weezer, Fastball, Magna Pop, New York Loose, a lot of mixing. I mean, he's done, he does a lot of stuff. So he was the main engineer on this record. And then the assistant engineer was... I'm going to mess up his name, but it's Nick Raskulentz, who at the time was like an assistant, but now is like a big time. Like he works on Foo Fighters records and has his own studio. And I believe, I think that that's where John's been recording is at uh, Nick's studio for a lot of stuff. Yeah. He's the fifth Beatle to super drag for sure. Got it. So the lineup at this time, I think this is the last time this is the lineup. It's um, John Davis, on multiple instruments and main songwriter um, on guitar, it's Brandon Fisher and backing vocals, Tom Pappas on uh, bass guitar and backing vocals. And I think this is the last record. I think there's a new bass player on the next record. And then Don Coffey Jr. on drums. 
Stephen, is this an album you got when it came out, or was this something you came to later? Um, yeah, I'd love to nerd about uh, when I found this record. It was uh, actually in '02. I was late to both of to both of their records, so I I would get the first record, um, probably sometime around '98. Uh, BMG was doing like a. I was a full blown BMG and Columbia House member, and they yeah. were blowing out a bunch of. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of cassettes were on clearance so i got regretfully yours in like a lot of 10 cassettes i got them for like two bucks each cassettes and... in the late 90s is a rare thing right? oh man that was that was the uh that was the bargain move if you were just trying yes. to go for like i just want to get as much as i can that was the way to go because yeah. it was so cheap mm-hmm. yeah and so that's how i got my hands on regretfully yours loved it have such fond memories of listening to that tape and my mom's 1994 chevy lumina the first summer that I was able to drive uh, on my own, that was like one of nine tapes that I rotated and and I just loved it dearly. But I kind of forgot about the band, and uh, I was it would wouldn't be until two thousand two. I was uh, going through some UCDs at a store in Michigan, and I happened upon a copy of this, and it was just like, oh shit, yeah, this fucking band. Like I love this band. Uh, would you look at that? They have an album I didn't know about. I took it over to the, um, you know, when they had the listening stations and record stores and I put it on and I was just like, I, I listened, I must've listened to the first track all the way through and just like, was, was like, what, what the hell? This is so good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I bought it and I, I listened the shit out of it from that point forward. Um, but yeah, Oh two is when I found it. Okay. What about you guys? Well, I think I covered this probably in our Regretfully Yours episode, but Regretfully Yours was one of the first albums I had to review for our music department in college to determine what the singles were going to be we were going to play on the radio station. Oh, Um, that was your job. That was my, well, they gave that to all the new people because they wanted to see what their taste was like. You know, if you come back... (laughs) you were being evaluated. I was being evaluated exactly. <laughs> and um the 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 first couple records were like Zumpano, look what the rookie did, which we did a very early episode on that one. Yeah. Um Catherine's Sorry, which is the Chicago band. Um yeah. and and this one and there were like maybe not this one, regretfully yours. Um but I remember uh <laughs> not really getting it at the time i was like i don't know there's this one song he's kind of like screaming about the sucked out the feeling and i don't i don't really this isn't my jam uh it wasn't until years later that i went back and probably through jay because jay was a huge super drag fan in the 2000s and he had all the records i think through just constantly playing them i just sort of reacquainted myself and went oh okay there was more to this band than just that song and then I've been a fan ever since. What about you, Jay? Do you remember? Oh my goodness. Um, to fact check me against my previous story. I mean, I remember regretfully yours, but I don't remember. I, I remember getting in the band more in the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. I think my, my peak fandom was um, coming out of this record and then into Valley of Dying Stars, sort of that period where, they went quiet for a while and then reappeared with that record. And that was, that was peak uh, super drag for me. 
I agree with you. I feel like two, around 2000 when in the, in the Valley of Stars happens because I was so outside of the like mainstream of listening to like new metal post grunge, you know, that kind of stuff that you were listening this weirdly, it almost fit in with like the action rock that you were listening to, like the helicopters and Lucifer, because it had like this more direct approach. Yeah, there's an edge. There's like a hard rock edge to it. And obviously, you know, a melodic sense to it that was fresh in the late 90s. You know, it's sort of you don't hear much of the alternative droney woes me stuff on here right or from 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 him in general because i feel like i didn't go back i feel like i went then to last call for vitriol uh, which came out in 2002 and then they had a bunch of like random eps and compilations that came out between like um this record and that and last call for vitriol i think there's like gotta be like three or four eps and a comp of like stuff I was so in, I probably told the story in the prior episodes, but I was so into this era of the, into this era in, in the Valley of the Dying Stars and Last Call for Vitriol so much that, and I loved the sound of the band so much that I figured out what drums the drummer was playing. And it was like this obscure custom drum maker in Nashville and actually ordered drums because <laughs> I wanted, I wanted that drum sound. So the drum kit ended up having built was based on like doing early internet research on like who <laughs> built his drums and how to get them. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, and there was also in this time, Vagrant Records was really big. Uh, they had a bunch mm-hmm. of bands and they put out a split with the anniversary. That's right. Yep. I remember that because uh, the anniversary was a big deal they, for their two records when they were when they came out. And I think Racket from the Crypt was on Vagrant at that point, and it was a whole thing. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about the comments we got over at Patreon for this episode. We'll share the results of the poll at the end. But here's what here's what people said: Jeremy Amend, easiest vote ever. Um, and then he made a comment. Looks like Ian voted EP already. He did not, and Ian said he did not. Um, Darren Lehman, fantastic album. The fact they're written off in certain circles as a one-hit wonder is an absolute joke. Joe Royland, one of my favorite albums ever. So easy vote. This seems like this is going in a certain direction. Let's see if it continues that way. Justin Wexler, I mean, come on. This album is perfect. (laughs) Darren Svedson, great album, though my personal fave is 2000's In the Valley of Dying Stars. This one really showed they were more than the sucked-out novelty one-hit wonder. Um, Richard Waterman, I'm with Darren, uh, in the Valley of Dying Stars is my personal fave, but this album is close, is a close second, looking forward to some good rock again. Willie Dillon, as the others said, this is a very easy, worthy album. I mean, She's a Holy Grail and The Art of Dying are worth the price of mission alone. It's like if the Beatles, Beatles were actually good. <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, dropping bombs, Willie Dillon, right there. Jim Laskowski says uh, this band had such a run with this record in the Valley of Dying Stars and Last Call for Vitriol. This one remains my favorite of the three because nearly every track brings something special to the table and never neglects the hooks. Amphetamine is such a killer ballad. Now I have to go back and listen to this one again. So thanks for covering it. Frank Garcia Hell. 
absolutely worthy album one of the one of super drag's best to echo darren it's a real shame some people only know this as the sucked out one hit wonder excellent songs strong catalog and killer live jim copany while i consider regretfully yours and your perfect album this is an excellent example of a follow-up to a popular release that found the band exploring darker territory that maybe was a little harder for a fan of their earlier singles to grasp onto while being an exciting development forward for anyone giving it a deeper listen so it's absolutely a worthy album Teresa hacker didn't even have to think about this one still pretty high on my favorite albums of all time list and then mike bankhead said whoever has this as better ep well i have questions for that person and over in um the discord he said this is his second favorite album of all time not just of super drags of all time so nary a negative word. And yet somebody may have voted for better EP. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, maybe they just missed, you know, tapped. Sure, that's it. <laughs> or maybe they wanted to um, upset everyone. And they really trolling. did. They were just trolling with that. We, we'll we, see. Have, we have very little trolling going on. No, I'm every once in a while, I see a little conflict pop up. And I think about, do I need to get in there? Do I need to tell everybody to go to their corners and have a timeout? But usually it resolves itself. Um, I would hate to think that behind the scenes there are people that are like, I hate that goddamn so-and-so. I'd like to think that we're we've just we're too tired for that. We just don't have the energy for trolling anymore. We're just like, look, I, man. I'm just trying to stay awake most days. I'm like the I'm like the robot trying to pull the oil back in. I'm like, come on, man. Just, just give me a little time off. Just want to, just want a three day weekend. I just want to chill and talk about music. I like. I don't. Right. I don't need any wins here. All right. We've talked enough. Of, of, oh, we talked around the record. Let's talk about the record. I feel stupid in saying this, but Jay, tell me one thing you like about the Head Trip and Every Key by Super Drag, because I know it's more than one. I'm going to try to keep it to two main ones. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we always kind of remark that anytime we have to review a record that we really, really love, it's usually the hardest ones to review because it's so hard to explain sometimes why you really, really like something <laughs> um, and verbalize it. But I'll start with, I just kill our songs. I mean, from start to finish, I think every song on here is incredibly strong uh, melodically. And I, I think with this listen of it, Obviously, I've listened to this record hundreds of times. I was focusing a lot on his vocals and really trying to understand like how he approaches things as a singer. And I think that's where I started to kind of understand his approach to songwriting and why it works so well. You know, obviously the melodies are super strong, but I think they're strong because in a way they're both simple but they're always moving and interesting. You know, they're, they're easy enough that you can quickly grab onto them, but they're not so simple that they become like repetitive or dull or predictable. I think Expanding My Mind is a great example of that, right? You know, start of the record. Turn 
you into this intimate moment unless you focus on like how he's setting the, mo- the melodies up uh he does a lot of like ending on high notes uh, on his lines which i think is really smart and works really well um he does that in the chorus and uh, pine away um you know the some of the verses are you know just as strong or stronger than the choruses um you know soldier and alibi does the same thing where those those verse lines are always building to a high note. Um, I also just appreciate, I think got a better sense of like how good of a singer he is too. You know, I think sometimes with, with a band like this, you're so like into the songs and kind of the performance and uh, maybe he gets lost a little bit on just how strong he is in delivering these songs vocally. Um, The other thing I picked up on, in terms of serving the song is just how well the guitar riffs in particular and the vocal work together. So he does a really good job of like going back to that accessible thing where the vocal line is just close enough to the guitar riff that they're, you know, kind of in sync and melodically aligned, but they're different enough, like offset enough that then it becomes something more than just the riff so if you just sing with the guitar riff all the time it's just like predictable and like you're not adding anything to it and if you're always off the riff like singing counter to it then sometimes you're like dissonant and it's hard for your brain to process it because you're sort of like trying to put these two different melodies together and it can be difficult sometimes i like that right but for what i think he's trying to do uh he's like walking this line where it's like kind of close but then it deviates in these really clever ways. So I just started to pick up on that too, I think on this record. Um, the other big thing I like about this record in particular, uh, it's just, it, it, it has this balance of being a little bit layered at times, a little experimental, like he pulls in these additional instruments. There's some sitar sounds on here. There's some organs. There's some hand claps and like horns and other stuff, but it never, it always stays punchy and like a rock. It's always sounds like a rock band playing that stuff. Like it never gets overly um, produced, layered, complex. It still sounds like raw, punchy. You know, the drums are always, like I mentioned before, I love the drum sound on this record and the subsequent records. There's always this this rawness, I think, there as well. So there's, again, with the songwriting, there's a simplicity, but then there's something very sophisticated about it. There's something about that in the production, too. Uh, You know, it's intimate, it's a little edgy, but then it's also got this other aspect to it that can be layered, a little lush, a little adventurous or experimental. It's unique in that way. Like I think most bands like tend to be one way or the other and they have a hard time mixing the two together into a cohesive sound. And I think pretty consistently, like 
on this record, he does that. You know, you can even shift pretty dramatically from different styles. Like Shepkin Drive is this super like fuzzy, distorted bass riff. And then it cuts to this Beach Boys style break. <laughs> and it totally is seamless. Like it totally works. But if you listen to two parts of the songs, you're like, these, these would never be in the same song. But like your experience of listening to it somehow with the way that the production is engineered and the way it's put together, like it's completely seamless. And that's that's all within song one song. That's not even getting into like the different styles you hear with throughout the record that somehow, you know, if you listen to them one at a time, it would seem different, but in the sense of the record seem very cohesive. Um, so that that's the other big thing I think about this record that's really successful for me. What uh, what works for you, Tim? Well, like you, I considered the fact that it's hard to talk about stuff that you really like and enjoy and have been around for you know a long time. So I was trying to think big picture on this record because I obviously I like the way it sounds. I like the songs. I think one of the things I appreciate about not only this record, but how John writes as a songwriter is the songs are both contemporary. Like this sounds like a 90s rock record, but there is so much in here that draws from a vast amount of time and catalog. You know, you can point out the obvious things like there's some big star and some Beach Boys and Beatles and zombies and stuff like that. But like you mentioned, on Pine Away with ending the vocal high rather than low. That's a very like 1960s soul Motown thing to do with to raise the voice at the end, like this big crescendo for the vocal rather than, you know, like the four tops of the temptations would be doing something like that as opposed to, you know, sort of fading out so you can get to the next verse. Um, and I love the experimentation that happens. I know that's from him listening to a lot of different stuff, um, whether it's adding the sitar, the strings, some of the keys that he's using. There's like some Eastern keys, which obviously the Beatles messed around with that as the stones. Um, you know, we wouldn't have it painted black is the one that I'm thinking that has the sitar, right? Like, right. That's the that's what I'm thinking of. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because I hear that stones not simplicity but just directness in in aspects of the songs but yet it sounds like you could play alongside matthew sweet or you could play it alongside the posies you could play it alongside all those albums and it makes sense there's just this bigger thing happening here um that I, when i was reading about the history you know they actually got it like a pretty good amount of money to make this record because the record label Electra after sucked out was a hit. They said, sure. we're going to give you some money. Yeah. Please make us a hit record. And John went, well, now we get to do all the crazy things we ever wanted to do in the studio. We can bring <laughs> right, in a string right. section and we can do this. And the record label went, what the, f what we can't, there's no singles on this record. He's like, yeah, they, 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 throw out to the vampire it'll that's a that's a single or hell bent those are singles um and the guy I guess the guy who was their rep at the label was a hundred percent behind them and said yeah. yes we can do this but you know it's 1998 the, the odds of this breaking through on mainstream radio in 1998 were yeah. you 
you did you had you would have had to have another sucked out like that blatant of a yeah you know you know it's hit. making me I, we've talked about this in the past i characterize it in different ways my sense right now is that radio got dumber throughout the decade by the end of the yeah. 90s it was very dumb and mm-hmm. like this is a not a dumb record no so it was like bad timing in terms of you know i'm sure the label wanted another hit not to say sucked out is dumb but it's very accessible it's it's cheeky it works like as a single but even a couple of years later like radio's gotten even dumber than that and they're getting more sophisticated and the two are just not a marriage <laughs> Right. And I think you can tell from the opening song, I'm expanding my mind. I mean, it's literally, yeah, it's literally that. <laughs> but also, like, think about the volume of Regretfully Yours. I mean, that's a power pop record. There's a lot of guitar. It's loud. It gets into some shoegazy stuff. I mean, and it's not quiet, like early does, lush yeah. shoegaze. I mean, it's big shoegaze. And then you open with this song that's acoustic. Mid tempo. And there's even some like almost countryish like slides and bends in it. So you're basically saying we're writing, we're rewriting the, the playbook here. Like you're not getting the same record as you got the first time around. And it, in some ways, it reminds me of the, what Wilco did. Wilco went from making a very straightforward country rock record, alternative country. That's exactly what you would have expected from Jeff Tweedy coming out of Uncle Tupelo based on what his songwriting was like. And then they go and make Being There which is like this expansive, very um, elaborate record that is has very obvious touch tones. Like this is our Rolling Stone song. This is our John Lennon song. This is our Johnny Cash song. Like they were intentionally aping um, their influences on much of that record. So I don't hear that same level of like obvious influence, but the thing that really I think brings you back is that, yeah, the songs are great, but there's so much interesting stuff happening on each song. You know, the guitar tone between Shuck and Jive, like you mentioned, is a lot different than Pine Away, which leans back more into that regretfully yours sound. but I, I'm going to let um, Stephen come in here and share with us uh, one of the things that you like about this record since you picked it. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, I like a lot of things about this record. I, you know, I'm not going to hide that. I think I wore it on my sleeve in the intro. Um, but, you know, I, one thing that really occurred to me in thinking about this review um, 
is yes, I love the instrumentation. I love how experimental it gets and the scope of it. But kind of like you said, Jay, it, it still somehow works. Like it still somehow seems tied together by a thread and it's in the title of the record, right? Head trip in every key, like, here you go. I'm gonna just give you this like wide variety, but it's still somehow all super drag. Um, so one nerdy thing I'll point out is that I think a big reason why the instrument, the added instrumentation works so well is because Don, Don Kofi Jr. plays so simply. He creates so much space in the songs by how simply he plays, but he plays so effectively, like, each hit just fucking hits like every hit of the drum is so good and so precise and you know it's nothing flashy he didn't reinvent the wheel and, and i've never i never got to see super drag live but i've seen plenty of videos and i'll you know i'll be honest like you know i don't get the same sort of satisfaction out of watching that man play the drums like i would a guy like dino from dredge or mike from russian circles but what he's doing and the choices that he's making, like I said, create this, this immense, immense uh, uh, scope for, for John to get wild and like, yeah, let's bring in the horns. Like um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little baffled by like how cake can get on the radio in 1998 with never there, but like, why can't Mr. Underground be on the radio? Like it's so catchy it's it's got witty lyrics and and cynicism which is great for the 90s and horns and it's and it's just like catchy and upbeat and danceable like you know I, it's such it's such a fun song um and then you know on the turn of a dime we can we can go down the antichrist road or um amphetamine like and get real dark you know and then come back out and and he just the album has this magical way of weaving all sorts of different moods at you and and it just all works um the sound of this album uh i was i was noticing through my headphones that i could hear in the beginning of sold you an alibi he's playing an electric guitar but if you listen closely enough in the left channel you can hear the pick hitting the strings and it's just it's done in such a way that feel I don't know if it's intentional or if that's like one of those things that that's just there, but the the sound of the album is is amazing. And I want to read something here, um, Tim. It sounds like maybe you read it. Um, the that so John did like a little twenty year retrospective with some online uh, thing called at the Ashgrave Proclamation. Um, and John talks a little bit about the Sound City experience. It's not too long, so I'm just going to read it if that's mm -hmm. cool. And it gives a lot of scope as to why things sound the way they do. So he says, I mentioned Sound City already, but there's a list as long as your arm of classic recordings that were made there. The big room was just a magical space for sound. So you put us in there. I guess I'm boasting, but we definitely had our shit together at that point. We're in there with Jerry, who's a boss, Mike Fasano, the best drum tech in the business, Bobby Schneck, the best guitar tech in the business, Nick Rask, who I lovingly abbreviate his name because I can't say that shit either. <laughs> uh, assisting, who is the total fifth Beatle with super drag and now has a resume of his own that shows how incredibly gifted he is. We've got five different drum kits that can be mixed and matched to cater specifically to each song, about 25 different guitars, each one being the best case example of its make and model, a room full of vintage custom 
shop and boutique tube amps, the capability of renting a Mellotron or a Sitar or anything that came to mind. One of the world's greatest Neve consoles, a closet full of Beatles mics and a two inch tape machine. You really couldn't invent a better scenario for recording music. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, it all shows, it all shows. If you like, I've been listening to this record since, you know, for, for 20 years now. Um, and it just continues to show itself to me in a new light. Like I fell in love with it. The reason that was my pick for this year is I saw, I'm in that nerdy Facebook super drag um, Facebook group. And I saw mm -hmm. that this was the, the 25th. And so I listened to it and I just like fell back in love with it in an obsessive way that I hadn't been since I first discovered it. And I was just like, ah, you know, the magic of an album that can still do that. And like, yeah. it's, you know, it's all here. Like it goes to show like, you know, all of that magic went into making it and it's ear candy. It's absolute ear candy. And if you know about it, like all the comments showed on the, on the thing, like you're in part of a secret club. And what I love, what he says up here, he talks a lot about in, in this and it's pretty reflective in the lyrics about how frustrated he was by the music machine and the major label business and, and all the rigmarole that the band got put through when he's a man that just wants to write and create songs and, and put them out into the world. Um, he said, uh, he said, so uh, you've heard Head Trip, so you already know the benefits of his drum methods, especially in the room we ended up in at Sound City. You won't see us in the movie, but we were definitely there. It doesn't matter. We made our own fucking movie at Sound City. And that's kind of what this album has become to me is like, yeah, if you know, you know, like, Tim, I was wearing that very same super drag shirt um, to a music festival. And I sit down on a hill to, to eat something. And this guy goes, hey, nice super drag t-shirt. And I was like, oh, cool. And we start chatting and just like real quick like realize that like he's just a huge nerd and like I started <laughs> quizzing him on shit I'm like how deep do you go into JD's catalog like and so you now have we, arigato now have, that like, that's what I that was my that was my measure that was my <laughs> unit of measurement I was like if this guy knows about arigato then I think we're just made best friends um and so we now actually have me Vadim this guy his name is Naz and Vadim's partner, Tanya, we all have a group chat called Team JD. And, and we just, we just nerd about our immense love, like, and it, and it feels like a secret club, like, yeah, most of the world doesn't know about this record. But like, that's what that's what ended up happening. And now if you if you got a ticket to the show, like you're in, and it's just such a, such a great, beautiful record. Yeah, I, don't, I could gush much more about it, but I'll pass there. Um, I, I wanted to say that I have a couple t-shirts that are like that. Like I have a Fu Man 2 t-shirt. And when someone comes up and is like, yeah, man. Like, and it's usually not like, oh, I like that band. They're like, yeah. <laughs> it's very laid back. That one. And uh, what's the other shirt that I, I was wearing that someone, I don't remember. I've, I, I've gone on a, a t-shirt buying binge uh, since COVID. So I have a, a bunch of them now. But there's been a couple other ones where I've been like, wearing the oh dinosaur junior i was at like a like a chipotle and the guy like was doing the thing where he's like ringing me up and he looked up he goes just like gives me the like the point like yeah man yeah i was like okay <laughs> dinosaur junior didn't expect to bond with somebody over that today um we've talked about all the things we like is there is there anything that and maybe we don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to frame it in this sucks or something, but like 
this is on another record and I like it better on that record as opposed to this record or, or whatever. You don't have to uh, uh, follow my advice or not, but do either of you have any, <laughs> any, well, I, one more compliment just to build on what Stephen was saying just sonically about this album too, is that, so I recently got it, you know, some new speakers for my desk and hooked them up. And obviously whenever you get new audio gear, you want to listen to a bunch of different stuff and see how things sound. This, so I listened to this record, obviously, a ton this week. Listen to other stuff from the 90s. Listen to new stuff. This by far sounds the best. Like, it just, it pops. It just, mm-hmm. it sounds big. You turn it up, it sounds even better. It's kind of amazing. I don't know that I had appreciated it, like, sonically, how good it sounds until this, this, uh, this time around with it, where, you know, I really got appreciation for how rich of an album it is and you know like your your stance even like it continues to give like every time i pull it out like i'm getting something new from it so uh in terms of what doesn't work i mean not much um obviously i can nitpick a couple things like is it anetta christ uh i think it's supposed to be annie anti-christ but it's Anne, like the name Anne. so yeah 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 it's Antichrist. It's just a play on Antichrist. That's all. Yeah. You know, little doll in the verse. Uh, it's one of the rare times when he does the, you know, fo- I think follows the, the vocal guitar. You know, like I mentioned about previously, him not doing very often. He does that a lot in the version of that song. Course is great though. So you know, for me, it's still a win. Uh, the, the horns go a little too far for me in Mister Underground. Oh. <laughs> they, I like when they first come in, but the way they end, they do this like little flourish at the end. It's very nineties. Yeah, it's like yeah, <laughs> it's got an arrow. It goes vibe. from like, oh man, this cool. This is a cool bop. Like it's just got a good that that song has just got a fun energy coming out of bankrupt vibration, which is a little uh, edgy and you know a little more ang- angsty. And you're like, oh, this is a cool shift, and then. The horns come in, you're like, oh, this is a cool layer. But when the, the way they end, I was like, eh, this is getting into the like, cheesy Aerosmith territory for me. This is this is where um, you know being a lyrics person, in my opinion, adds that extra dimension. You're not a lyrics guy, right, Jay? You've said this no, on no. on the show several times. No. Um, you know the, the the lyrics are so sarcastic and seething, and I don't know if if in the pre course he says, "How does it feel to be one of the novelties?" I don't know if mm-hmm. the writing was already on the wall there, and he he saw himself as as the one hit wonder for sucked out, but like. You know, the, the lyrics are so scathing 
but not in a way that's like, you know, like negative because the music is so fun. Um, you know, and he's just slamming the musical industry. The second verse, if you'd like to see how dim the people can be, join the circus with me. Uh, you know, like he's, John has uh, this way of um, still being a humble human being, but recognizing the strength of his own songwriting. And I really enjoy when he takes these like little lyrical jabs. They're, they're just all over this album. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think he's got plenty of legs to stand on. So it, it takes it that extra, that extra um, mile for me when it does. Yeah, it is a little cheesy and a little total Aerosmithy. Like you're not wrong about that at all. Uh, I, I want to circle back to what you mentioned about the Sonic recording as a positive. One of the things I, I talked about it popping, Sold You an Alibi has that real like dynamic uh, approach to the guitar like dent 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 the way that that pops in conjunction with the bass and the kick drum um it is so perfect and i think it also alludes back to your uh mention of drummer don coffee jr like the, the drums are so perfect in that song locking up with the guitar and the bass it's might be my I don't know if it's my favorite song on the record but I I love the way that that song is constructed the dynamics of all that it's got such great punch it's It's um, so danceable it's like right I just want to get up and start dancing when he does that little rhythmic shift after the what about today part and oh god yeah it's just so good it's so good it's hard to pick a favorite but like that's up there probably in the top three of of the album um and since i'm giving this a decent single that's probably all the the three i'm gonna no i'm just kidding um uh steve and uh you mentioned that you might have a friend stopping by oh is she is she ringing no i'm just saying do you know if she's going to be dropping by soon Mm. jay we have on the phone with us from the cover of the album no i'm just kidding Oh, uh, no, she said work is absolutely tied up and she won't be able to make it. OK, what did she have a My, comment that she wanted to share about? The well, record? you know, she what did she say to me earlier? She said, um, this is your friend, Lindy. Yeah, this is my friend, Lindy. She lives in the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, California, Oakland specifically. Shout out to Lindy. Um, she specifically said. I have a love letter to this album I've been writing since 2000. Deep, deep, deep in my being. She loves it. And I think, yeah, I was like, if you want to just pop on real quick and cast your worthy album, uh, Glory, then by all means. But yeah, I guess it's not going to happen. So I just did it for her. So before we get into um, actually rating this record, a a couple of people under the comments mentioned that either this was their favorite record in the Valley of Dying Stars. I think Jim mentioned that um, regardfully yours was his favorite. For you guys, if you're ranking Super Drag albums, where is this for you? Is this number one, number two, number three? How do you, how you rate in that? Uh, Jay, I'll start with you. Where does this rank for me? Yeah, in Super Drag history. Probably two. In terms of the, you saying like what's my favorite in the catalog? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's probably two. I think in the Valley Dying Storage is still one. Okay. Um, I don't this one though. I went back to Valley after listening to this and it held up really well. It had me second guessing, like, well, maybe this is my favorite record. Um <laughs> it's probably just because I hadn't listened to it as much recently. Um, but but right now I'll go with Valley one, this two, uh, and then either referee yours or um vitriol after that and then i won't do the whole catalog but for me it's probably two okay a couple people said that a couple people had in the valley first and this one second what about you steven it is a very serious arm wrestling match between in the valley and head trip but i do think that head trip wins more often than not okay if if had to if that's a tough that's a tough ranking match. it is this is like trying to yeah, this is this is difficult. It's trying to trying to pick your favorite kid. Um, I'm with UJ in the Valley. I think I just spent more time with that record, um, and I it's just got it's just I don't know. There's something about that record. Maybe it's just because there's a little bit more rocking on that record than this. But it's I think it's going to be that record over this. Although this made a very strong argument. Um, but to say that it's like leaps and bounds better than regretful yours or um, last call for vitriol would not be true. Like these are all very, very close in terms of, um, you know, where I would rank them. It's like 1.11, you know what I mean? Like it's not, uh, I haven't spent much time with industry giants. That's the last record, right? You know what? I just thought about that. Like I was going through the catalog. I was like, wow, I remember the, so much excitement about them getting the original lineup back together for that record. And I don't remember that at all. Like I remember all the hype building up to it coming out and I don't remember any of the songs from it. Do yourselves a favor. There is a bonus track from that record that for some unearthly reason isn't on the record. It's called filter out the air. It is such a fantastic super drag song that I didn't even learn about until I think, I don't know, last year, two years ago, something like that. Um, yeah, huh. it sounds just yeah. Um, okay, I'll check it out. It's on the streaming version now. It's like track thirteen. They must have included all the beats. It's on the streaming version. Yeah, on Apple Music, it's listed at track thirteen. Get out of here! And there's a fourteenth track five. called Four on the Floor." Which what you doing there? Sorry. Party <laughs> um, ball. That's okay. Um, I just got excited. It was not on um, streaming for the longest time. Interesting. It's not on uh, uh, Spotify. Yeah, okay. that's a bummer. Oh, I think it might have been a... an, an it might have been an iTunes exclusive. Um, trying to promote the album because we're talking Maybe, 09, yeah. I believe. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, so it was in Cure. I think it was an iTunes. I think it was an iTunes exclusive. Anyway, uh, we got a little distracted. I did want to go back to, I genuinely was combing this record, trying to find some sort of criticism about it or something that I didn't like. And I, the closest I came is like, sometimes I wonder if maybe he shouldn't have said fuck in Sold You an Alibi. He says, looking for lies, sympathy, fuck. Hmm. I wonder if, I wonder if that's um, a lyrical regret of his 
or not? Like, cause I'm, I, I don't know. I, I have trouble pulling apart the context of what he means by that. Oh, you don't mean like from a single potential? You mean more from a lyric choice? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know if that would have worked as a single if, if it didn't have the F bomb or not. He thought that John thought that the, uh, the closing track should have been the single. Do you guys have any front runners for, uh, the art of dying is the single. Yeah. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> John. He's being funny. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. I mean, I think the Mr. Underground is is a good oddball choice. Um. I don't. I see. I don't think there really is a, oddly enough, a great, perfect single, like that. I would go. This is the three and a half minute long radio single. I think there's some really close songs but i i, I mean sure um do the vampire was a single correct yeah yeah that, yeah to me it that and shuck and jive have like the local h kind of vibe to it like there's a just a beefy muscular riff there that mm-hmm. catches you right away and i could see it working with an alternative radio from that angle i think they were boy that would have been uh that would have been funny if that actually broke as a single given he, he does take pretty hard shots at, uh, at the label. He says, uh, breaking up the band by a palm tree in the sand. I think it's in that part, um, that you mentioned the beach boys, <laughs> the beach boys part. Oh, right. Right. Yep. Hmm. Um, I was thinking of what maybe about pine away. Yeah. I was thinking about that could be to, to me that that song i want to mention that one because to me that is i didn't hear it before until i listened to you know this this uh time but to me that feels like the precursor to lisa memory like that loaded up for me like oh when i first heard Lisa memory it was a little bit of like i really liked it but i was surprised a bit mm-hmm. by the sound i didn't he- hadn't heard that in him but now when i go back and listen to pine away i was like oh there it is yeah, like I can hear it now in that song, and like where that the idea for that band came from. Pine Away is actually uh, an older song. Um, it was written. Uh, there's like a handful of songs that were written in '95. Um, he propped those out in that right up too. Um, and Pine Away was definitely one of them. It's one of the oldest super drag songs, in fact. Um, so yeah, I mean even. Even if the label ideally wanted clo- uh, more of a carbon copy of Regretfully Yours, I think John's point was like, well, then fucking take Pine away because it's, you know, it, it predates so many of these other songs and and kind of falls more in line with with early super drag. I, I'm thinking if you want an outside long shot choice, um, you'd have to do a single mix for this song that was edited and maybe a different vocal mix, but Bankrupt Vibration would be an interesting choice for a single because it reminds me of Tender by Blur, which I believe is either this year or next year, is that single comes out, that like hand clap kind of thing going on. Yeah. I I kind of feel like if you, his vocal has a lot of reverb on it, and I feel like um, if you take that off and and it gets a little clearer, it could actually be kind of a kind of a single probably have to shorten it to by like 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong about that. I'm sure John's probably listening 
saying you're an idiot. What are you talking about? That's not a single. <laughs> uh, so let's let's do the perfunctory uh, uh, worthy album, better EP, decent single. Jay. Worthy album. Come on now. I know. Um, I think I've said it all at this point. It's a. Uh... It's one of those records. I think it also it like brings people together. I think it's a, in terms of if you just look at our community, like it cuts across uh, a lot of different tastes within you know the, all the different uh, genres that we kind of talk about, and we've got people that are super into. And I think it's one of those albums that does a pretty good job of bringing different uh, different people together. You know, it's pretty accessible you can play it for your kids and your wife and they probably won't hate it. You can play it loud and it sounds great. Like you can rock out to it. It's a little heady in times. You can listen to it in headphones. It sounds good. You can listen to the speakers. It sounds good. You know, it's just an all around really high quality record. Correct. <laughs> Steven. <laughs> Worthy elbow. Yes, of course. Um, and I'm with both of you. It's a worthy album. I am genuinely um, interested to know who at Patreon voted better EP because uh, 86% of the vote was for worthy album. 14% was better EP. Now, if I think that means there was at least two votes for better EP because 14% would not be one vote of of, of trolls. Yeah. Well, hold on. There's 14 votes. So how did this, how's the math work on that? There's 14 votes, 14% voted better EP. Yeah. Anybody got a calculator out there that wants to do the math for me? Cause I don't know uh, how that works, but anyway. Um, oh, I can download the results. I wonder what would happen if I do that. What does that mean to download results? Is it going to tell me uh, a little Excel spreadsheet of them? Oh, yeah. Maybe it'll tell me who voted for each everything. In case you need to crunch those numbers. I hope did so. You guys, did you guys see Super Drag live in the 90s? I did. In early know. 2000s? No. No? Fuck. I can't believe none of us. No. Of us there were. It's two him. votes. Two votes for uh, Better EP. And uh, there you I go. I would have had a, an opportunity more so probably during the vitriol tour, but I don't remember for whatever reason I didn't end up catching them. I wonder if they ever played Columbus. I don't have a they recollection. I'm sure they, they did. Have. I want to They're, say they played Little Brothers and for whatever reason, like I couldn't go or something. May, yeah. If it was any place, it was Little Brothers back then. That would have been the perfect venue for them. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could speak more to their their live capabilities. Cause I mean, I feel like, I feel like on songwriting prowess alone, like there's no reason that John Davis shouldn't be at a level that Dave Grohl is at. Like, yeah. I, on songwriting alone, I don't know that they could bring it live to a level that's needed to, to become that level of, you know, Foo Fighters level of arena rock. Sure. Uh, I can't speak to that, but. Well, you, you I mean, have to get an unnecessary third guitar player and keyboard 
and then then you that's when you make it to arena rock that's what that's what like pearl jam and and foo fighters do they bring in like an extra guy to play guitar you're not sure why he's there and then a keyboard player that has no business being on any of the songs Wait, it's funny you bring that up because I did just see Sunny Day recently and they had a third guitar player. And Alan Epley from Shiner and uh, Life and Times. It worked. Oh, he didn't play the shows that I saw. Uh, oh, he didn't? I wish. No. Oh, maybe they switched. Amazing. Okay. Maybe they switched um, some of the shows because he was doing Stra- some of the- Strangely enough, though, I saw him in LA and San Diego and it was a different guitar player both nights. That's weird. Maybe yeah. they're just having a different guitar player what? every night just to see what happens. I don't. <laughs> I'm so confused. How could you do that? Or why and how could you do that? I, I, I don't know. I never did find an answer. And there was a, I, I don't I know. I'm just was... thinking about like, what would you tell a third guitar player? Maybe the parts are like. Well, Sunny Day did. Enoch doesn't play a lot of guitar, right? Like he's just kind of a rhythm player. I don't know. When we saw him, we played the whole set. Did he? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's sections where he'll stop playing, but like, no, yeah, he's, he's, he's in there. Is a third person playing like very minor parts i wish i could tell you i'm not uh come on steven savvy enough to, to aren't you, know. you in the multiple bands <laughs> yeah I've but been sometimes studying you know, that shit what's he playing what's he doing over there i'm always in that situation like, i'm just looking up there doe-eyed you know i'm all well you're also looking yeah there you go yeah everything sounds amazing and i can't tell what's making it happen but it all sure. sounded really good and really full so if it just felt like something must have been uh being done right by that guy the auxiliary guitar the auxiliary guitar uh there i believe in the works some new super drag music i think that's being there was teased. there was it got kiboshed already it did? i was wondering because that was a that was a little while ago that we heard about that so i'm assuming yeah. that's dead yeah you know it happened it got no, not specifically. I just know that, you know, it was, it was, you know, I think these days John is just very specific about how he wants to make music and how he wants to proceed. Yeah. And yeah, I get that, you know, too many, too many irons in the fire, I suppose. Yeah. There was a tweet 11, 17, 22. What if we made our best LP in 2023? Yeah, he teased the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it leaves it open. What if he didn't? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There was there was wonder if if the record was going to be um, a bit more stripped down and reminiscent of their early sound. They they played a a show this past fall, like a year ago, I think last like late last fall in September, um, and they played only like songs that they wrote within those first two or three years of being a band. So there were some, like I said, some of the head trip songs were written back then. So they included those, a couple of those, but um, they were playing like pre regretfully yours tunes off um, the fabulous eight track sounds. And uh, you know, some of the earlier, like the senior single. Um, they're playing really, really early material at that show. Hmm. So I and have might have a little bit of a birdie inside JD's camp. Um, oh, so you know, I hear things. I hear things, but yeah, unfortunately, it got kiboshed. I wouldn't be surprised if the, if some of the songs turn up uh, elsewhere because we all know the man loves to write and release songs. Well, 
yeah i mean between leaves of memory um he also does what is it the rectangle shades um Mm -hmm. that's he's involved with that and then he does his uh cassette stuff there's there's always like a uh solo christian album last year too oh i didn't know that yeah there's an album under his name that's his third under under 2022 or 2023 it was pretty recent yeah well we've said it all i think about super drag and their 1998 sophomore album head trip in every key Stephen, thank you for bringing this record to us. I think, uh, you know, every 10 years we need to have a super drag discussion. That's probably, (laughs) we need to, we need to, we need to shrink it down. You know, the last one was in like 2012. So maybe we'll try to do the next one in uh, 2031. (laughs) Cause you know, we'll still be doing this. We refuse to give up. Maybe we'll turn a couple people onto the record that haven't heard it yet. That would be, I think, the best thing to come from talking about this thing is to keep it going. Like, it's just such a great album. All yes. of his music, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I ride I ride hard for all. all well, the then you got to ask, music. like, if you mix in the Lisa Memory albums with the Super Drag records, like, which how you rank in those? Because, like, some of those Lisa Memory albums are stellar. My goodness. You can't do, you can't do that. <laughs> And it makes it all there. up like that. They're all well, their own thing. Uh, okay. Although I, I, I would agree that the the Lee stuff gets more super draggy by the end. Yeah. Like as the band progresses, the first record to me is very different than super oh, yeah. drag. But as you get to you know into the, into some of the second record and the third record, it starts to feel very super draggy. I, I yeah, think unnecessary I not- evil is is very super draggy. I mean, even that the title track itself, like yeah, that could be I a super drag um, song. I, do I don't too. know how he um, differentiates it besides the players. I, I don't know. Jay, did you love that a stereo version came out of that record? Thank God. Yes, <laughs> I know you were. I know you're not. It kills me. Mono. It still kills me. The um, what's the white album? The blinding white white. That is still mono, which I own a vinyl. I don't see that one on streaming anymore. Um, it kills me that one's on in stereo. That is record that should be on stream. That absolutely should be on stereo. It's like John, I'll buy your records twice, just <laughs> <laughs> stereo mix. <laughs> yeah, I, I look. I don't know. Some like I said, I I like when when he gets when he gets real bold about his choices and, you know, with respect to the way that he grew up and listening to music and falling in love with that sound. And um, like he talks about in that write-up too, about how, when um, the whole album head trip was conceived as a vinyl piece, um, you know, the the label flat out refused to to press vinyl. So he had to make the concession to put it out. He didn't even own a CD player at that point in his life. He was still consuming all of his music on vinyl. So you know, the man has a real, a real deep love of the mono, and I respect it. Uh, Jay, the blinding white of nothing at all is on Spotify, In but mono. not Apple, huh? But not Apple. I Weird. It. I don't see it on Apple. They even have but like the seven have, inches. You do yeah, have a filter the, out the air, though. They have they have this 
singles and EPs. They have the other three albums. They have the serial version of Unnecessary Evil, and they don't have the White Album. And the stereo version of Unnecessary Evil is the only one that's on Spotify. So as it should be. Like I think the the mono thing is a niche thing. Like I think if you want to do that, like you put out the stereo version and then you offer like a fan version on vinyl, special packaging in mono. Yeah. That's my point of view. What do I know? I'm no John Davis. <laughs> None of us are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's be let's be honest here. <laughs> um okay. Thank you, Stephen. We enjoyed chatting with you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to have you on. We greatly appreciate, you know, you sporting us and um what's uh what is going on with you uh music wise? Are you doing anything right now? Are you taking a break? I've been in retirement. I'm actually slowly coming out. Um I'm I just started jamming with a new band. Um I'm playing bass. And uh, they know and love super drag and local age and not a surf. And so, yeah, I feel, I feel in good company, um, but it's brand new. Literally had the first practice last Thursday and then the second one will be tomorrow. So you're just like yeah. feeling each other out. You're not slapping asses yet. Yeah. Two of the <laughs> members are actually <laughs> two of the members are in a, in a really rad band called Rosa Rosa um, from San Diego. And they just put out um, a pretty cool little shoegazy, washy, poppy, like sort of uh, it's an EP and it's really cool. I would uh, urge people to check it out. Isn't, uh, isn't rocket from the crypt from San Diego. Yeah, they sure are. And I almost interrupted you earlier when you brought that up at the top of the show. But I, uh, I, I started working at Trader Joe's this summer mm-hmm. and I work with a, with a guy who plays guitar and he's in John Reese's solo band. <gasps> um, so, get yeah, John Reese on I, the show. <laughs> I've got a little inside. Uh, I would love to try to see if, if we could make that happen. Um, I was literally just playing um, the RFTC self-titled record for my daughter in the car yesterday. And um, because that's the one I kind of think is like accessible because it's got like um, she liked uh, uh, Break It Up. It's got that like 50s kind of feel. And then um, You Gotta Move has that like Spanish rhythm thing happening. And she was kind of digging it. I don't think she gets the voice just yet. I'm like, you got to. I know it's a little (laughs) it's a little raspy. (laughs) It's gonna forgive him. Well, he's a showman. He's a showman, and the sound of the band is real big. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily come across um, via car speakers, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, for folks who are interested in maybe picking a record or voting in a poll on a record or voting in our monthly tournament polls, you can join us at digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com you get to uh do the things i mentioned you also get our bonus aughts episodes which are um along with our 80s episodes we have almost 30 uh bonus episodes you also get the video for these podcasts that we do and stuff like that jay were you gonna you look like you were leaning into the mic like you wanted to interject something there no i'm just letting you do your thing man Gotcha. I was just trying to read your body language. I, I, I was, I misread. Sorry. Uh, Patreon. That's where you go. 
If you want to suggest an album for one of our polls, you go to digmeoutpodcast.com, drop in the album name, the artist, and uh, while you're submitting it, and while you're doing that, uh, you can also sign up for the Box newsletter, which is available to our patrons. It's a weekly Substack newsletter of new releases from the 80s, 90s, and aughts-related artists. Uh, perhaps it's a music, some new music. Perhaps it's a book, uh, a documentary, TV show, stuff, uh, stuff like that. Also, two reviews of new releases. Uh, when this comes out, I will have talked about the new Rolling Stones record, which, um, spoiler alert, is not terrible. I was not enthusiastic. I don't know about you guys, but I was not enthusiastic enthusiastic about the Stones making new music in 2023, but it's got some good stuff on it. It's not my favorite Stones record. I'm not going to put it in the top 10 or anything like that, but it's a few, few good cuts. There's also some oh, man. It's good fair. to see people, you know. Yeah, making the music. Like it, it feels like they hit every era of their career in it. Like there's a song that kind of sounds like Exile on Main Street. There's also one that kind of sounds like Dirty Work era Rolling Stones, which is not my favorite era of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> it's a little too Harlem Shuffle for me, but yeah. Overall, it's it's pretty solid. Um, so the box newsletter is where you get to read or listen to those one minute reviews every week. And finally, Apple podcast is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out. Yeah.